You've eaten Gotham's wealth, its spirit, but your feast is nearly over. This is not my hole. It's an operating table. And I'm the surgeon. Why aren't you laughing? From this moment on, none of you are safe. Welcome to the Batman Book Club, a podcast that explores the Dark Knight Library. I am your host, Ryan Lauer. You can follow the Batman Book Club on Twitter at TheBatmanBC to stay up to date with new episodes, upcoming episodes, polls, and maybe even a giveaway coming up. Stay tuned for that. You can also email for questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, or anything Batman at all at thebatmanbc at gmail.com. The Batman Book Club is also now a proud member of the Batman Podcast Network, hosted by Batman on Film. And finally, you can follow me, Ryan Lauer, on Twitter at Lauer underscore Ryan, Lauer spelled like lower. Now, finally, in this episode, as you can see in the title, we're dipping back to the earlier days of the Legends of the Dark Knight series with the revered Venom. This book wasn't my choosing though i'm glad it was picked and it was selected by today's guests from the anything goes and please rewind podcast it's tim rooney rooney hello tim <laughs> sorry about that no it's tim fine it's, it, it, <laughs> <laughs> no it's okay like it, most people will um mess up my last name there like some people like out of state would be like is your name tim ronnie i'm like no it's double o it's rooney but like some sort with my long island new york accent like the r is very quiet so it just sounds like three o's it sounds like rooney and i'm like your Mm. name's rooney like no it's rooney i have to really land on the r hard right there to pronunciate it so you're totally fine in uh pronunciating of my name there but here's the thing and this will sound stalkerish I've listened to you speak for hours. I've heard you say Tim Rooney many times. It's not a confusing name. And yet somehow just now I say Rooney. Oh, Tim Rooney. Good golly. Anyways, <laughs> uh, for anybody that's unfamiliar with Tim Rooney and your podcasts, uh, why don't you inform them real quick about Anything Goes and please rewind. I accept all stalkers at any kind right now and everything. <laughs> I, it, like I accept it because you know what? People need love in their life too. And you know what? I'm willing to give them attention and everything like that. Um, I mean, like I like I like multiple shadows. Unless it's a Doctor Who episode and we're in the library and there's multiple shower- shadows, that is not a good time. But me as a podcaster, yeah, I've been podcasting for about five years with the Anything Goes podcast. I'm actually playing the five-year anniversary uh, event uh, soon. And uh, like in the hopes of being able to record in person again, that's why I can be able to do that properly. And that show, which we literally just dropped the episode earlier this evening, according to this recording, where I reviewed Wonder Woman. And that's kind of like how the show is, where we talk about geek and pop culture. We've picked random topics. We've we've covered the entire Halloween franchise. We've done all the Harry Potter movies and books and a myriad of other things. My other podcast, Please We Won, the RF4RM Retro Show. That is more movie-based. So we talk about movies when it comes to anniversaries, where our most recent episode, we will go back to 1995, and we talked about Friday. And that's where we like, oh, we, we find the movies like, oh, it's 30 years old, it's 85 years old. We don't try and land on the exact date it came out, but it's more just like, all right, 
it's the anniversary this year. Myself, Guy Milks, and Jamie Drewley, that's our, my usual co-host. We just find a movie we talk about and just like to geek out about it. And we have a bunch of stuff that we already planned for the rest of the summer. And it's going to be a lot of summer blockbusters coming up, and we're really excited for that. And I want to thank you for being a listener to the show, the, the shows anyway. It, may, it helps me like, hey, people like the show and somebody likes to listen to it. At least I, I, I know for one person likes it. That's more than enough for me. And so for that, I thank you. The pleasure is all mine. So on Anything Goes, you and your pal Mike have gone through many, I could just say, forms of entertainment and series and such. But highlighting, as you just said, the Halloween movie series. And then also you guys went through the Scream movie series. And all of those podcasts are really great to listen to. Even a couple of movies that are not good. You guys still deliver Really fun conversation and definitely a lot of information and behind the scenes and build up to the movies and such, which is just really fascinating, especially of two of my favorite horror movies of all time. If anybody hasn't listened to Anything Goes, I would highly point at those of maybe a starting out because I think those are just really fun conversations. And then on Please Rewind, I've got to shout out on your guys' episode about Roadhouse. I think the funniest (laughs) Funniest episode that you guys have ever done. And I believe in addition to your two co-hosts, you also have might have had Jeff Connell on that one. Yes, we did. You remember? Okay. And yeah, the the banter between you four on that movie, which the movie is fantastic anyway, but that conversation, that episode itself was oh, that was a lot of fun to listen to. So yeah, uh good podcast. It's great to have you on and ready to dive into some some Batman goodness. Yeah, and thank you for the kind words and everything. There's a reason why there's a month in between each of those episodes for Anything Goes because of the amount of research that Mike and I would do. That's why most of those shows are two and a half to three and a half hours long because like, all right, especially if there's more controversy around the movie, like, okay, we have a lot to get into. That's why it takes 45 minutes to an hour before we actually start our actual synopsis of the movie. Yeah, and and I think that's why I highlight those two is one, because Screaming and Halloween, depending the day of the week, I don't know if somebody asks what's your favorite horror movie. Today it's Halloween, tomorrow it's Scream, the day after that it's Halloween. And so they're fascinating movies and any documentary piece or any article written on them anything i will scoop up and read and yet still learned a lot of information by listening to you guys talk about those two so i think that's why to me i so highly regard those episodes so bravo sir bravo thank you but like that's not what we're talking about today today we're talking about something very different we're talking about a certain uh cape crusader yeah another another thing that we have in common in addition to good horror movies to before we Get into Venom, though. I want to ask you, what is your favorite Batman story? Uh, now, do you mean in comic form or just in Batman media in general? Media in general. Uh, my favorite Batman story in media in general has to be Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Ooh, nice. Yeah, because I think it is the, it is the, I guess, like one of those purest, it's like the, the essence of Batman is in there, whether it be the, he is the the great detective, he is the great fighter, and it is the great tragedy of Bruce Wayne's battle for his soul pretty much between does he want to live the life as bruce wayne or as batman and the fact that it ta- it curbs from so many ideas like all right there's ideas like maybe a little bit from batman year one and there's a few ideas like hey maybe a little bit of batman sprinkling of batman 89 in there with like joker as a gangster before he became the joker spoiler as well as just the beautiful animation and shirley walker's score is just amazing and the fact that it's only like maybe 80 minutes long is just like it's fascinating to see something such an economical storytelling that sums up a character that's been over that's been that's been around for over 80 years is something to marvel at uh no pun intended <laughs> i 
I appreciate the the choice because, and rightfully so, since the this podcast, even so early on in its infancy, is called the Book Club, and we discuss Batman books. I purposely leave the question as, "What is your favorite Batman story?" Covering covering anything, it's kind of like one th- only one story that you could ever take with you. What would it be? And most people do choose comics. So well done, you went with you went with movie. And I don't think anybody that would listen to this would would it have anything negative to say about your choice? Because what a movie. Yeah. And that's why I asked for the qualifier there. And I was like, all right, you want to be (laughs) specific with comics? Like, yeah, I I have an answer for that too. But I'm like, all right, but I'm going to be, I'm going to be an attorney that way. Like, no, he said from stories. So I can expand that out there and be a little pedantic in my answer. But I hope people will be able to respect the choice I gave. Absolutely. And you lawyering up right there. It's not that too. It's for our, our nerd community of like, well, hold on a second. Did which form of media did you speak about because one of the future guests <laughs> uh, i reached out to him about covering a book and then he was like well i don't want to break the rules so can you can you explain a little bit to me what my barriers are and choosing between what and everything and i just kind of find that really funny of like yes this batman book club that just just recently hit double digit episodes there's rules don't you dare break the rules or i'm coming after you so anyways let's move on to today's choice batman venom first of all it ran in the legends of the dark knight series the first version back in between march and june of 1991 those are issues 16 through 20 written by denny o'neill interesting that on the cover of each one denny o'neill is listed in first and then trevor von eden then Russell Braun, then Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Now, Danny O'Neill, of course, he's the author of the the story. So, of course, he get, he'd get the first billing and credit. But then next is Von Eden. And yet you open up the, every page and it says he did the layouts. Then after him is Russell Braun, who actually did the pencils. After him is Lopez, who did the inks. And it's to me, that's kind of different as far as looking at front covers of books and who's getting credited for which part, because most you know, like instantly off the top of my head is Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo, because Scott Snyder wrote it, Greg Capullo drew it, period. And yet here it's like, well, it seems like the guy who drew it is the third name on the on the sheet. So, I mean, it's a small thing, but it kind of it kind of threw me off of, wait, what? And then Garcia Lopez being like inking it. That's a good name in, in the art world, the comic art world, but like an, an inker getting front page credit. So, I mean, good for DC give everybody credit on the cover yeah it is curious because i think that it's like a it's another pun it's a who's who of, of talent of <laughs> where the wall with this book and you think of lopez who's like you see if any piece of dc media or like a dc like any t-shirt uh, mugs or uh blankets that had uh, any dc characters from the 80s into 90s is garcia lopez's art I mean, he's a legend when it comes to DC characters like that. And it is curious to see him like he's just as an anchor here. And you're like, huh, that's odd. But okay, I guess we'll just have to go with that. Yeah, maybe he's want to take a break from drawing, but they wanted to bring in the big one. I don't know, but no complaints on the art front. The oh. um, No, you go ahead. <laughs> no, 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 after you. Uh, I was going to continue on. i just say. It was available, obviously, in single form, five single issues. It's been collected in trade paperbacks, and it is on the DC Universe app. So in reading for this episode, which version do you have? Which version did you read? I actually don't own this as a physical copy. I remember when I first read it, I actually borrowed it from my buddy Mike. Uh, He's the one who originally lent it to me for this episode. I actually read it on the DC Universe, and it might have been actually my first real 
exposure to digital comics because I put my I, I put my computer in full screen mode and I just like tap 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 and so like it's like it zooms in it's like all right here's the text and here's then we back out to the art and everything it was a different experience and I, I understand the convenience of the assisted reading and have just reading digitally like that. Like I'm a, I prefer physical uh, copies of books, but I'm not the person to go and get single issues. I'll wait for a trade paperback. And so this is like my first real um, dip my toe in there and everything. And I said to myself, like I'm paying for the DC universe here. I might as well use the back catalog for comics right here. And after this experience, I think I'm going to continue to do that. I totally agree. So I'm with you on, I'm a physical copy fiend, if you will. And especially with Batman books, I just I just prefer holding a book in my hand and flipping the pages. Now, I also have an iPad and I also do have digital copies of things and love the benefit of basically every book that I own could be stored digitally on my iPad. Love the convenience. And it came into play here because I remember reaching out to you of if you'd like to come on and then what story you'd like to cover. And you said, Venom. And I'm like, awesome. Cause I was heading to where I have some of my books in storage. And I was like, I'll sw- I'll go through and I'll look for my Venom trade. And I accidentally forgot until I got home and I wasn't going back to storage. And so I was like, oh crap. Well, let me look on DC Universe quick. And I found on DC Universe. So I said, I'll read it on DC Universe. And I agree with you of like, I don't have anything negative to say about reading digitally. It makes sense. I get it. It's easily accessible to tell anybody about this. Like, look at, I think the a physical, like a trade, I was looking up to see if it's even available right now. And I wasn't coming across any that are available. So to get people to read the story, it's kind of like, well, buy it digitally or get on DC Universe. So thanks, DC Universe. You've saved us. Yeah, I mean, it's like either maybe in stock trades that might have a used copy or refurbished, but it is like you would say, like if we weren't dealing with a pandemic, I said, go down to your local comic book store. They may have it, but they're closed for the most part, at least in my neck of the woods. So yeah, it is one of those scenarios like, all right, God bless uh, digital because otherwise uh, us included and maybe many others who listen to the show have not read the story and want to read the story after listening to the episode. They have a convenient uh, outlet to uh, check out the story. Yeah, so don't get me started on in-stock trades. Episode six guest Chris Balga told me about instocktrades.com and I have been a naughty boy with my spending ever since. It has oh, been... Oh, <laughs> no. It, it has been bad, but... I have no regrets. You make money to spend money. And my money's been going toward Batman comics. So there we go. There we go. That's a happy life uh, lives right there. I don't (laughs) see anything wrong with that. Okay, thank you. I need somebody to help justify my spending. Now, you say you don't own it in a a physical copy and you borrowed from your friend Mike. So what's, what's Tim's story on being introduced to Batman Venom? When was the first time that you read this? Uh, my first time I read this might have been maybe three years ago. And mm-hmm. the reason how I was introduced to this story is like my first got into reading comics is actually senior year of high school. And I wanted to start reading Batman comics. And so I said, like, oh, I heard graphic novels are like kind of collected stories and everything. This is this, this is me being a total layman when it came to comic books. So I end up Googling best Batman graphic novels. 
And at the time, IGN.com had a top 25 list of the best Batman graphic novels in their opinion. And like the first, the number one I, it was Dark Knight Returns. That was the very first comic I really read. I remember I had this conversation with Brent Clark on when we covered Grant Morrison's run on JLA. He's like, wow, wait, Dark Knight Returns is your first comic book reading? I'm like, yeah. He's like, that's probably a bit much for somebody at the very beginning. I'm like, maybe, maybe not. But like it, it, it didn't deter me from continuing to reading. And Batman Venom was amongst the top 25 uh, selectees. And I just remember the cover, like the, the, the little thumbnail they used to for the stories. Like it's a Batman with a craze, like almost like rictus grin holding pills. And then the description of Batman being hooked on drugs. And I'm like, you know what? That sounds interesting. So eventually I end up reading it. And I remember it must have been like a, a dull summer day when I just went to the library to read the comic. And I read cover to cover in one sitting. Oh, I don't feel so bad. No, I'm not alone. I don't want to say so bad. I don't feel so alone because actually I had a friend whose dad. So this is my quick story. I'd heard about Batman Venom for a long time and like recommended of reading, reading, reading. And it probably was the late, I'd say the late 2000s. But like, you know, some some point between like 2008, 2010. And a friend's dad actually was a, a friend of a guy who owned a he owned like a collector shop and he had tons of like Batman issues and single issues and then graphic novels and stuff like that. And he just did basically like a grab bag for five or ten bucks. And there's tons of stories in them. And the guy would just bring me random collected Batman issues and some Batman books. And inside one of them for five bucks was a bunch of Batman issues and Batman Venom. Unfortunately, the trade was like creased right in the middle. But I was like, okay, this is highly regarded. I can't find buying one or I can't find one to buy anyway. So sure, this is fine. And then I probably didn't read it for quite a while. So it's it was probably like 2012 or 2013 when I first read it. And then this, I think, was the third time I've read it, period. So it's kind of nice of... Each time it kind of is not exactly new, but kind of I in opening. I'm like, I remember a few parts, but I really don't know where it's going, how it kicks off and how it ends. So this is almost like a, a new reading for me in a way. And that's how it's been each time. So again, hey, good choice. Thanks. <laughs> no problem. And, and I'm just glad you give me the option there. And I have to I'm the same way because I, I read it again. I read it all last night and I'm like. Yeah, I remember this character, and then like half a few more pages, and I'm like, I don't remember him being a villain such an er- so early on. And turns out it was it like it was just like you. Like my memory was a little shoddy about like how certain things played out. Yeah, but that's okay because now to to kick it off, I think if you were to explain the story to somebody, well, what's Batman Venom about? And it's Batman himself gets addicted to a drug. I think that could be the synopsis. Because it's, it's like a, I can't really, I can't, nothing comes to mind that is a story just like that, whether before it or after Batman Venom of Batman getting, if not addicted in general to something, like definitely not a drug. This story stands out as that to me is what the story is about. I mean, yeah, like it was like saying more specific that like Batman gets addicted to steroids. Yeah, exactly. And that's such a relatable down to earth it's it's perfect for it's perfect for batman if you will of like it's not too out there it's not like oh uh some what do you want to say some drug from krypton came and batman got a hold of it and he became like superman or something like that it's like it's no it's just kind of it's an everyday thing for batman who is always related to 
realistic as close as you can be for a comic book character and world. Right. And it's not like, oh, Superman takes uh, steroids and everything. Like, no, Superman wouldn't need to take steroids or anything like that. The fact that Batman is the only like real human, like the, the, the original seven of the Justice League, it would make sense for him to dabble in something like that if there was a good enough reason for him to do that. And I think there is a wonderful, I don't want to say wonderful, but there is a justifiable reason that's the inciting into the story that would lead him to taking the drugs in the first place. Yes, I'm glad I'm glad you said that because I think that can kick us off and like we don't need to go like panel by panel every single every single page. But I think definitely the inciting incident, like you just said, the very beginning of this story arc, this story is so crucial to kick things off. And one that for whatever reason, I didn't even remember happened in which Batman needs to go under the sewers. A child has been kidnapped and Batman needs to go save this child, which ends up becoming a little girl. Okay. Opening page, sure, us as Batman readers know Batman saves the day, Batman doesn't fail. And then through a series of pretty intense panels that seem to intensify, panel by panel and page by page, we end up seeing this, there's a little girl that is tied up to a chair in the sewer and water just keeps rising. Batman's rushing, you definitely believe he's going to save her, and then there ends up being kind of like a little an avalanche of rocks that comes between him and the girl. So now he's got yet another, another hurdle to get to this girl, but we're used to Batman saving the day. So he, he kind of keeps yelling for the, this girl, the girl yells back at him, mister to where she can only hear his voice. He can only hear hers. And it starts to get a little bit more intense. The water keeps rising. The water keeps rising. Batman's exhausted, trying to remove these rocks so he can save her. And he gets to the last rock, which is the biggest. All he needs is just to move that big rock and he can't do it. And we see in panels as the water keeps rising. And then Batman finally, he he doesn't move the rock because he can't, but then he's able to look and he sees that the little girl is drowned. Yeah. Talk about setting up like, all right, I don't want to say justifiable reason or anything like that, but a reason for Batman to put an unknown substance in his body to prevent him from ever dealing with a situation like that. Because you think of the reason why Batman became Batman is because his parents were killed. And he made a, a, a vow that he would nobody, no other family would ever deal with that kind of tragedy again. And, he's, and he fails. He fails miserably. And he takes all that responsibility and he feels like he wasn't good enough. But there was a giant boulder. Nobody could have moved that. Like, unless you were Superman or Green Lantern or... If you were Martian Man, then you just phase right through it and phase the little girl out of there. There's no way to, to be able to, or Wonder Woman to throw the lasso around and yank the boulder out of there. There's nobody that was going to be able to do that. Yet, he's, he takes it all on himself right there. And he says, like, no, I need to push myself. And tries to lift more weights afterwards, and he hurts himself because of it. And that injury leading to a scuffle with some bad guys that that in- incapacitates him because his arm one of his arms is not as strong as the other and it just it is a snowball effect that leads him to going down this road to becoming a drug addict inadvertently. Yeah, because I mean he he puts so much pressure on himself to be the the perfect the perfect soldier in a way, and he can have no weakness. And if he starts to feel weak, well, he will just get stronger. But this injury this injury prevents him from doing that. And what is the cost? He failed. Somebody died. He tracks down the the little girl's father who happens to be a doctor and i think what also so not only did it the opening pages kind of get me 
it was I was kind of also taken aback of the girl's father, who should be like in hell right now because he just lost a child and he seemed so cold and dismissive and kind of just like, yeah, I'm just studying stuff. Oh, hey, by the way, here's some pills. And it's like, <laughs> hold on a second. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> what? That's a little, I'm a little off by this. Right. It's like, he's so, everyone say he's so cavalier and like his, it's almost like his attitude is like, he just like shrug, like crap happens. What are you going to do? And it's like, your child died. Your child was murdered and you could not, care you couldn't care less about the situation and that should have been red flag number one for mm-hmm. batman that the father was so nonplussed with the idea that his daughter's gone and if it was if batman himself was not in a, an emotional state right there i feel like his i guess his detective skills would have picked up like you know something's rotten in denmark here but since he was such in an emotional state that's why he was able to had this ruse pulled over his eyes. Yeah, it's a sharp and competent Bruce Wayne Batman would have sniffed this guy out from the get go. But like you just kind of said of like basically mentally, mentally, he's just distracted. Physically, he's he's beaten. He's hard on himself. He's he's just down in a bad place. So he's just not aware. And this isn't he's fine. And then as you just mentioned a couple minutes ago, if he kind of after the fallout from fighting some of these bad guys, I mean, it just, he's too weak. He can't take out two guys who on any normal night would be maybe a challenge for a half a second, but then it, then he'd take them out and yet he failed yet again. So this, this doctor who planted this seed of, Hey, here's some bills. Here's some bills that'll make you stronger. Batman. He's like, okay, I'll take the bait. Let's, let's try it. Sure. Why not? Did, did you ever come across, do you think this is, I know that the whole point of the Legends of the Dark Knight series was like earlier tales in Batman's career. When you read this, do you think, oh, this is earlier Batman? I think so, because you think of just the design of his costume, that it is very, and I'm going to say stripped down or anything, but it's not it's not overly designed, mm-hmm. just like how he's drawn. And I could see that. And the fact that when... Later on, when Batman mentions uh, Barbara Gordon and Jim Gordon's wife to Jim Gordon, and Jim says, no, we keep that separate here. We we are work associates, but that's it. We do not bring any kind of personal things in there. Later on, Jim and Batman could probably have the conversation about family. I think that, that was another clue to show like, hey, this is early in their relationship that that they're still walking kind of a tightrope of what, like, where's the line where kind of conversations we can have in a work environment. I think that's a, that's a really good point. Cause I mean, I would have going to stick with in my mind. I too would think disregard what comic line this is in or anything. I just think of, well, this is a younger Batman mistake because an older Batman just no, he's going to, if somebody gives him something, first of all, he probably wouldn't accept it because he's too stubborn to think, no, I'll come up with it myself. And two, if he did take it, he'd go put it under the microscope, rip it apart and inspect every single detail before ever just consuming something, especially from somebody that he doesn't know. So to me, that's kind of my trigger of, oh yeah, this is an early Batman. But I think they're, what you just said is almost like, now here's here's almost like the physical evidence of just his exchange with Gordon and how dismissive to personal conversation he is when we all know that it's almost like outside of Alfred, Gordon is almost like Batman's best friend in a way of in any medium, whether, you know, movies, TV shows and comics, especially of 
like there's a camaraderie there and it's kind of absent here. So yeah, I think that's a really good point uh, that you have to kind of trigger that. Right. Um, because you think of like Batman hush opens almost the exact same way mm-hmm. where it's Batman going to rescue a kid. Very successful, but it, it but that's also like, that's like Batman who's like, maybe he's gone through nightfall and no man's land and everything. Mm-hmm. So that is definitely like, that is veteran Batman at that point. So that's why he is, he, that's why he has acid to burn through the lock and he's able to save the kid from the kidnappers right there. It, it's something that he's prepared for there and he's conscious of this mistake here is a rookie mistake. But I think there's even Alfred says like, do you think like you would, you would be able to stop death? that he would be able to save everybody. And it kind of goes back to something that Grant Morrison said about Batman on Kevin Smith's Fat Man on Batman years ago, is that Superman fights the impossible. That's what he does. All the kind of insurmountable odds right there, Superman's going to go up to it, and he's going to fight tooth and nail to try and stop it. Batman, on the other hand, fights death, and all of its forms are there, and trying to prevent death happening from to innocent people and that's like the kind of the genesis of this uh, of this entire story there that Batman was unsuccessful defeating death when it comes to this little girl. So he turns to something he doesn't really understand, but he's willing to give it a try. Precisely. And I think that the opening chapter, as far as like issue one of this story, is if there's anything that's almost a little more unsettling than the cover of this story, it's that very last panel of that first issue of Batman's uncomfortable laugh. Because Batman doesn't laugh like that. <laughs> no, and the fact that, like, imagine, like, you're a goon in Gotham at this point. Like, they, you probably know that Batman's a little stoic and everything. But Batman just came into your bar, tore the place apart, threw a giant dude through the window, and now is cackling like a madman? I don't know. I think I'd move to Bloodhaven. <laughs> yeah, at least their, hero, their heroes are a little more, like, remorseful of having to beat someone's ass. Like, <laughs> they're not like, ha that was fun. Who's next? because <laughs> that's exactly. exactly how he was laughing <laughs> <laughs> he's got the mr krabs laughing that's that's the laugh he has right there it totally recontextualizes this book for you yeah so people like criminals that are already freaked out about batman he does that and they're like holy shit <laughs> this is worse <laughs> <laughs> batman is a pirate on, on his off days who knew <laughs> i mean as the story moves along in the next chapter it's Essentially, and I know I don't in case nobody's refreshing, I don't want to like go too deep into every single thing, like I said earlier, but it's kind of like Batman's just spiraling. I mean, you can see that he's getting stronger. He's he's getting more toned. He's becoming more dismissive of Alfred and he's kind of mean and much like in the Dark Knight Rises, Alfred leaves Bruce Wayne and Batman just he gets more addicted. And then the story really gets oh, how do you want to say it? It cranks up a little bit more when he's assigned by there's a new a new character comes in general slaycroft i mean that's a i think that's a horrible name and they are kind of they're playing batman and they want him to take out jim gordon because gordon stands in the way of their move which is not very good no and you could say that this dr porter and general slaycroft they play batman like a harp from hell (laughs) <laughs> i think that's accurate yes <laughs> yeah and they decided they turned they they're testing it to see if they could turn him into their foot soldier which batman agrees to after the fact that he's turned himself into the michelin man or just how much pa- how much mass he's packed on 
and he turns into like he dresses like the spirit for the very beginning of it, like trench coat and hat, and he's beating the ever living crap out of, of goons throughout Gotham. There, mm-hmm. it is. It's unsettling mm-hmm. because even though the long debates, even within these Batman stories, is a pushback of like, yes, he's taken out bad guys, but he's kind of got to do it. As weird as it sounds, he's got to do it in a an honorable way. And kind of a, there's a line he can't cross from taking out the bad guys. And so you should be rooting on him taking out everybody in this. But yet there's something that's like, this is a little too violent, a little too in your face, a little too. I mean, it's telling, too, as it's even brought up later that it's he's he's not even dressing up in the bat suit in some of them. He's dressing up as I'd almost say like a matches Malone, but it matches Malone even shows his face. Yeah, and, and, like he like has a trench coat and hat on. And delivering street justice to the criminals of Gotham. And then later on, he goes so far that there's a couple of people trying to escape him after murdering two criminal informants that he can't race down to get to him because they're about to get into a car. So he yanks a fridge out of the wall, tosses it through a wall (laughs) to crush a car underneath there. Like, I don't know. I think that might be just a little extreme. You're losing it, Batman, but I would not tell you that to your face. No, because I would imagine like that's probably yeah, very heavy fridge filled stuff like there. I just hope the guy that's not uh, Greenlander's girlfriend in that fridge. <laughs> I, uh, uh. So yeah, that was the thing that happened. <laughs> that sounds... I, I don't remember all details. Anyways, moving on. So... As the story evolves from there, so that's our hook after chapter two, if you will, of like, what? He's supposed to go after Jim Gordon. And then chapter three is, I think, a turning point in the story because we start to get more information on what Slaycroft and Porter are, their reason for manipulation of Batman and what they're really up to. Like you said, they want an army of super soldiers. And then also we're checking in with Batman who has taking the steps himself of I want basically self-isolation for a month, Alfred, make sure don't help me, leave me alone. I need to flush this out. And I think that is such, that's the turning point for the story because I don't think we needed another chapter. We've already seen how bad kind of Batman is and his addiction and everything. It's, it's like, okay, we don't need more of the same here. Where's the story going? Oh, that's where it's going. He's trying to, overcome the obstacle himself taking the right steps oh but the threat isn't gone because we saw what this these pills are doing what they did to him and now we've got these group of guys that are getting the same thing except they don't have bruce's morality to put him in check no and uh, sidebar right there since slaycroft's son Tim is the first sub to be used there. It's just a, another example of a long line of Tims being maligned in media. I'm just saying like either Tim is usually the the dopey character and everything like that or the mass murderer. I've never <laughs> seen just a, a genuine nice uh, Tim in movies or TV. And I can't do it because then I just look biased trying to create a character like that. I, well, I will interject and say the Tim that comes to my mind or perhaps Timmy is young Timmy from Jurassic Park. Yes, okay. There, no. There's one one Tim to root for, so hooray! <laughs> yeah, the funny thing is, when uh, when my hair was, like, I did get zapped once uh, accidentally by electricity, <laughs> my hair does did look like that. Uh, luckily, it wasn't like a 10,000 volts uh, fence or anything. So, but you're right there. You, you hit on a good point that the fact that, like, Slaycroft does not want 
any morals in the story. He just wants completely disciplined soldiers right there. And the fact that his morality is in the toilet, as we find out later on, that like that he thinks like he was worried about his son being gay at one point, and he mm-hmm. he uses ethnic slurs where he he intimates that. So we know this guy's a real piece of work right there, and he wants to be in control of super soldiers. That's a terrible notion to wrap your mind around of. Yeah, and to, to experiment on his his son, who was briefly introduced in the second issue of this, and then we really develop here, and we see the effects of of the pills of the venom on him in this kind of like short but heartbreaking story of Tim and this in this girl, and like kind of like the the changes of him and the changes of her, which ends which ends like in heartbreak, and not exactly of like his heartbreak, but just for like us as readers of. Like, I don't know, it's it's like a it's a tragedy and she calls him out on you see, I guess, more of the effects of the uncontrollability of of this venom and how it's changed this guy who introduced last issue and we actually like him and we're rooting for him. And we just see this nasty trend and this downward spiral he goes into up until ultimately he ends his relationship with this girl in the worst way. Yeah, because we find out the drugs he's been giving it been given makes him less and less human and the fact that eventually that he gets violent with her and ends up killing her because of it is just it's just more heartbreak for you. Mhm. Absolutely. And so through what do you want to say? Bruce Wayne-ness, he tracks down that he needs to go confront Slaycroft and these super soldiers in where? Santa Prisca. Now, at the time, readers I wouldn't mean anything to him. But for all of us, especially you and I coming so late to the story, we're like, well, <laughs> what? We know somebody that's from Santa Prisca. Yes, and that would be Bane. Bane. And I was actually reading in a book the other day, 100 Things Batman Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. And there was a one of the chapters was on Bane. And it, the author interviewed Duck Mensch who is a co-creator of of Bane and he went through the story of creating Bane and how they came up with the Santa Prisca angle and oh remember the story Venom because Danny O'Neill was an editor at DC at the time and he was in the brainstorming sessions with with Bane and they were like oh here's here's the backstory and this Venom drug Bane got a hold of it or not Bane but this character got a hold of it all right what's he, what's his name well that story was called Venom so let's call him Venom and then Mench even said of like, well, none of us were apparently reading Spider-Man comics at the time because we Denny O'Neill had to call him back up and be like, yeah, we can't use the, ne- the name Venom because uh, there's a villain that's taken over the Spider-Man world and his name is Venom. And then luckily they just looked in a thesaurus and another word for Venom is Bane. And they're like, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny like that because you think of Bane and Venom as characters. They're supposed to be like the ultimate challenge to their respective uh heroes it is funny to see how they're very similar and i guess just like an idea of synchronicity out there in its comic book form right there but i, I don't want to like we kind of glossed over it i want to go back a little bit to the idea of uh batman rehabbing himself in yeah, self-isolation in, in batcave yeah go for it take take the lead yeah i mean just like the, the fact that like um like I've had family members deal with like addiction problems and I'm very aware of rehab and, and the things that you need to do to succeed in that and take it one day at a time, everything. It is something to see like 
that Alfred is just going about his butler duties in the Wayne Manor. And like every couple of days, he wants to hit the intercom. He's like, sir, do you want to come out of the Batcave? And Bruce Wayne's insistence like, no, has to be 30 days. And he gives himself that clock to kick this habit in 30 days. And by the 30th, 31st day, Batman emerges from the Batcave, a little gaunt and looking a little bit like Alan Moore. <laughs> yeah, a, a very, very bearded Bruce Wayne. Yeah, I, I, I don't I think mean, I could like, grow a beard like that to save my life. I've I've not shaved for seven days before, and it's pathetic how little hair is on my face at that point. It, it took me like three months to get my beard, so don't feel bad. <laughs> so, like seeing him come out like there, like he's a, a roadie for ZZ Top, is quite startling. Yeah, and as you just said, you knew people. So I knew, especially one person stands out in my mind, someone very close to me that too had like an addiction problem. And I've never had, I've never had an like an addiction in an issue or something. But it's in explaining to others, it's kind of like, well, just try to put yourself in this person's shoes of tell me something that you really, really like, and you experience that thing every single day, at least once every single day, maybe multiple times a day. Now tell yourself that you have to stop it completely, period. That's hard. So something as little as for me, let's say I like cereal and not like the healthy raisin bran or something like that, you know, where uh, it's like I, I like the kids cereal still. And this is right. not comparing the, of anything with the really serious drug and alcohol addiction stuff. But I'm just thinking on my level of I like cereal. OK, right. You cannot eat cereal. Okay, like more than once a day? It's like, no, you cannot have cereal again for the rest of your life. Done cold turkey. Oh, sure, I got this. Sure, I got this. Okay, after three days, four days, five days, a week or so. Like, like I like cereal. I just like it. Let me let me have a little bit. Okay, amplify that tenfold, twentyfold or something. And I'm like, that to me is how I try to understand somebody who had an addiction problem. And I'm, I know I can't fully understand what you're going through, but it's like, I'm with you on this. So this, this is hard. And so I think what this story, and I know this is probably really over dramatizing, but it's like, I think it's, it's very telling of, it's not just like Bruce says, I'm going to get over this next panel. Bruce is over this. No, we're seeing a process here of like, it is a process. It's tough. Cause the person that was close to that I was close to with addiction, like, many times and it wasn't like oh geez they're falling off the wagon again it's kind of like ah i i can't imagine how hard it is but like you fell off the wagon let's dust yourself off get back on it let's let's try again let's try again you know what i mean i'm just rambling here but that's kind of reading this i feel like that's that's just what triggers in my memory a little bit you know no i totally understand i mean like full disclosure is like is my mom who had a very bad drinking problem. Addiction runs in my family. Mm-hmm. And like, I know I don't want to turn this into a sob story there, but like she lost her battle with drinking a few years ago. And like, there were so many times where like, she'd be good for a while and then it'd fall off and everything. And then she'd have to go to court appointed rehab and everything. And so it, because you, that the reason why the saying is take it one day at a time. is because like, you don't like plan like up, oh, you don't do the five-year plan as a recovering addict or anything like, no, it's a, it is a daily struggle there. I know that I have that addictive personality in myself because like I used to drink, I used to drink, I know it's a very different thing, but I used to drink soda all the time, but it's why I was very heavy at one point. And then I, I was able to stop it and I worked out and I, and I continually to work out 
and even to the point that my brother-in-law asked me, like, Tim, do you have an addiction problem? And before I got a chance to answer, my cousin's husband, uh, Vinny, steps in. He's like, Fred, Tim went from drinking soda every day to not drinking soda and working out every day. I think he just substituted one addiction for another. It's just this one's healthier. He hasn't hurt himself yet. As you can tell, in my, I have a very bad shopping uh, addiction as well. Amazon Prime is my drug. <laughs> Um, it doesn't hurt me physically except for financially and I'm running out of room on my bookshelf. And so, yeah, it is a, and reading this like since my mom's passing away, it, it was a tough read, but I think it's a necessary read. And I think like, sure, it can come off a little bit melodramatic and maybe a little after school special. Mm-hmm. But I think the fact that it's, it's comic books and to see our hero in such a vulnerable place right there makes his, come back just that much more triumphant. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And Denny O'Neill doesn't treat the subject lightly. He doesn't deal with it lightly. It's not, there's like, there's no jokes here. There's no, Oh, it's easy or anything. It's, I don't know it. Everything that I just, my long reign, I just went on. That's what triggered triggered in my head this time reading. I don't, I don't remember my first two readings of the story. So I can only tell you my most recent reading of this, that's what triggered in my brain. And the subject matter itself is not dealt lightly. It's taken serious. I think it's it's showing of the perhaps the most humanistic superhero in DC comics. Yes, it can like addiction can hit anybody, and it is a tough struggle. It is an uphill battle to get through, but it's like it's possible just like you just kind of said day at a time, day at a time. So I think this is probably of the five, like the five issues of this story. This is my favorite issue of the three, because as I said, a dramatic turning point on all fronts of where the story's going, the effects on people, the isolation of Bruce that he took upon himself to get over this problem, as well as how, what I want to say, it's not fully his fault because look at the drugs effects on other people that are being manipulated. And so I just think this is, this is an important issue. It's dealt with very well. And I think it's definitely, uh, what would you want? What would you want to say? It's the, the whole story. I think you could say succeeds based on this issue of it right it's the anchor to the story that, that really there just you its existence yep the anchor of the story thank you well done no problem this is your podcast now take it from here <laughs> so next issue <laughs> <laughs> yeah the next issue here we go so feel like all right i guess i gotta drive now yep uh batman book club with your host tim rooney you heard it from here passing <laughs> of the torch uh, I so, chopped down the I axed my way through the door like all right buy a book club now I look like Jack Torrance from The Shining <laughs> yeah here's Timmy I don't know if anybody calls you Timmy is that some does anybody call you Timmy they're they call me that once and then I say like that's like the because I came of age when South Park was in its, its prime right ah, there okay Timmy it was like it was like the bane of my existence for like two years and the ginger episode hit and I'm like oh come on I mean I love Trey Parker and Matt Stone by own uh, shots and nuts uh, each for both of those characters. Like one, two, three, four. There we go. <laughs> because, yeah, the, the character Timmy, it's like, ah, it's just like, like my dad will say that in text form. Like, it's my dad. I'm not going to give him shit for that. But mm-hmm. if anybody else says that, like, yeah, like you, you get warned once. Otherwise, like then we're going to have issues right there. That would have been funny if you'd have just been 
and I will not edit this episode and edit that out. But if you'd just been, yeah, I was called that once. <laughs> and, then, and then radio signs like well okay good to know uh, um, that'd be too much of a dick on my part right there and everything like no 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 i gotta be i gotta be civil right there so i was like you know what let me explain to myself here but like a total douche was like so many leaves a review like yeah good episode but don't bring that guy back tim on social media and podcasts is totally different than the real life tim my goodness so i mean it's the I think the the last two issues play as the the third act. To me, they kind of mesh um, as one part. So, do, do you like what? Is there anything specific you want to bring about the last working towards this ending of this of the story? Batman versus a shark without the okay. repellent. Absolutely, yes, definitely. The uh, issue, I think it's Legends of the Dark Knight, number 19. Look up the cover right now because if you're not <laughs> thinking shark repellent. Bat shark repellent. Well, then you're not a Batman fan. I don't know. What <laughs> Although the, the the cover, it's like it's you're promising me. You're promising me he's gonna have cape and cowl fighting a shark, and instead we get bare chested and cowl. I mean, okay, whatever. But you're lying to me, DC. Right. I mean, it goes back to the saying that Neil Adams says when it comes to covers. Like, there's two types of covers. There's the iconic covers. Then there's the storytelling covers. The iconic covers, it's like like you think of Superman breaking the kryptonite chains. Mm-hmm. Or you think of, like, say, Batman Zero Year, where he's sitting on top of the gargoyle with a bow and arrow as, as the ivory goes over Gotham City. And like you don't really see that moment in the book, but it's like all right, it's, it's an eye-catching moment there. And then you have storytelling covers. Uh, uh, covers or like that uh, Superman sitting in the witness box and a little girl pointing at him in a courtroom saying like that man killed my daddy You're like wait what and that stuff happens and it is an iconic cover that at least it's not like it's the thing where like yeah he fights a shark on the cover and he doesn't fight the shark at all in the story at least he fights a shark in there yeah. but it is kind of like oh I've been so cool if like he was literally wrestling this wrestling the shark like he was I don't know Hulk Hogan versus Randy Savage. <laughs> it's comics. I'll take it. It's fine. And it's, I'm not upset by the cover or anything like that. It's just, I remember seeing him. Oh, sweet. He's got, a, he's going to have his cape and fighting the shark, bat shark repellent. And then it's nope. Muscular Bruce showing off his chest hairs and everything taking on a shark, but whatever. That's still pretty cool. It's still pretty fun. And I think the story, it works. I know it seems like I'm really jumping, but it's, I mean, it's working toward we see the destruction of these super soldiers killing killing innocents and stuff. Batman tries to go and stop it and uh, he gets captured. And then the as what seems to always happen in comics, I don't know why villains don't understand and pick up on this. The two villains working together all of a sudden start butting heads and start fighting. And it ends up ultimately being the demise of both of them. It's kind of the uh, the spark that ignites the fire of of their friendship, their workmanship, their whatever you want to call it, their evil plans don't come to fruition. Batman saves the day, but then the son, Tim plays an important role in the ending here. Do you want to take it? Yeah. I mean, because the Tim along with the other super soldiers have been programmed to listen to just the general's orders and that's it. Mm-hmm. And when, the general realizes like this doctor who's given these drugs here and made the super soldiers is a bit unreliable because of his own drug addiction. And he's starting to lose his shit a little bit. And so 
the, the general decides to torture the doctor here with a tape recorder playing so he knows the formula to these drugs here so he knows that it replicate himself without the need of the doctor and when Batman breaks in to stop the interrogation from going to the full fruition of killing the doctor, uh, Batman stops the general and the doctor plays back the tape and he kind of messes with the audio here. So he makes it sound like, uh, it like makes it sound like kill me now. And so Tim under orders picks up his father and breaks his neck under his own grip there. And you think, Oh, Tim's not going to recognize that he's just a, a zombie right now, but no, he's, trapped with his own body there his mind is, is still there but he has no control of it because he cradles his father in his arms he's crying because he couldn't stop from killing his own father so there's a panel too and i think it's a really a really good panel that shows tim in the top of his dad's head and he has a tear and it says father and then you see batman frowning behind him and i'm like it's to me that's very symbolic of what the story is too and how this addiction problem can get people to do things that they feel they're not in control of themselves you know like they end up doing things it's like yes and sometimes those things can be really bad and it's like it's it's not personal they they really didn't want to but something this addiction problem just kind of ends up taking over for them and they're almost it's like get out where you know they're they've dipped way far back they can see but they can't do anything about it and that's I mean, that is kind of what I feel Denny O'Neill had. Like, that's kind of what he was saying with this part here. And I think it totally works. I agree. And I think you're, you're right on the point that it's very much like get out with like, like the, the engine's on, but you're not behind the wheel. Mm-hmm. And another thing they're saying that the drugs just, just rip apart families. They destroy families because the, the daughter of the doctor who started this whole thing, she died as the inciting incident here. The surrogate father between Alfred and Batman were tested throughout the, the middle of the story. And then the son kills the father here at the end of the story here, the, this, the general's son. It's just saying like how drugs rip apart families and they do that on a daily basis. Like, yeah, it's highly dramatized for this story here. There's a hint of truth in there because of that addictive uh, drugs like this have the potential to do that and it's kind of scary right there and i wonder if in the original issues like the single floppies of when these were first published i wonder if there was a like a number that you can call for if you have any addiction problems right here like call this number to, to get help or not mm-hmm. yeah that's kind of that's something i think i wish could happen in these dc universe single issues is that you would get the in a sense, the letters to the editor sort of thing also printed in the back of these issues. Cause yeah, that would be for nothing other than just curiosity's sake of what you just said. Huh? Did they put that kind of stuff in here? Did people write in about personal stories or how this story kind of how you and I said, like what triggered our memories and real life experiences if that this story did it to other people and in what ways I I'd say that they'd have had to, but maybe they didn't want to be, they got their point across in the story, I think. And they were not heavy handed or feeling forceful or anything in that way. So maybe, I don't know. Essentially the story ends like on a somber note. And not only did Slaycroft die, but so did Porter. Porter's was more by his own doing in taking these pills. So it's almost like this story of all these, uh, basically like this all death stems from, in a way, the source is the pills, the venom, if you will. I mean, that's kind of how it kicked off the story. It ended the story. So I think that was kind of powerful. I mean, the the approach to the addiction and stuff is more powerful, but I think 
I don't know. That's another, to me, that's my takeaway of the story also is it's all South Park drugs are bad. Like it's <laughs> kind of, that's, that's also a part I think it encapsulates the story as well. I don't know. Right. It, like it, it could, like I said before, it could easily devolve into just a PSA beat you over the head with it. But no, I think it does it tactfully like there. You don't have um, G.I. Joe's at the end of this uh, a book saying like, by the way, drugs are bad. Yeah. Be cool. Stay in school. Participate in the D.A.R.E. program, kids, or anything. So Which is one of the biggest failures in drug enforcement right there because it caused more kids to do drugs. <laughs> but I do remember drug awareness, resistance, education, and I remember having that ruler for a long time. Anyway. <laughs> I remember the song they had with that. There was a song? Yeah, there's like, D, I won't do drugs. A, I won't have an attitude. R, I will respect myself. E, I will be educated. I think that was the one, how it goes. Bravo. You were the first guest on the show to sing. (laughs) Bravo. Well, I like to break new grounds right here. Let's see who takes uh, another uh, foot forward. You might learn something, kids. Tim's going to break into song and dance. So now there will be feedback about this episode. I'm like, no, Ryan, I know you guys were kidding, but please give the keys over to Tim. He even said <laughs> oh, it's just like we have to do everything in song now. We just have to write the podcast in rhyme. Like That's how you have to do it from now on. Uh, I hope somebody leaves some kind of feedback about that. I, <laughs> you know what? what? I like the show, but more songs, more singing. All right. You got it. So, I mean, I know that we left some specifics out, but I kind of wanted to anyway. So in the end, that's Batman Venom. Before wrapping it up completely, two questions for you that I ask everybody that comes on. Do you have a favorite part of the story? Um, It might be Alfred toiling with it. Like, should I try and get him out of the cave or not? Like him struggling with Batman's decision to go cold cold turkey Mm-hmm. And as somebody like I like like I mentioned before, like I know how that feels like. Like you want to help that person, but you can't, and you know they're struggling. You want to help, but you're like, no, this is something they have to do by yourself. Like you'll be there if you need, if they need you, but this is a journey they have to go by yourself. Just seeing Alfred go through that, and, and like you know, that's breaking his heart there, and it breaks my heart as a reader. That's my favorite part of this story. As morbid as that sounds, I agree with your favorite part. And I'm going to expand mine just a little bit because I think that totally makes sense. It's very relatable. It's subtle to in, I think in Denny O'Neill's point that he's getting across and it, it triggers memories for me too. But I'm going to say that it's just Bruce's whole self intervention in that issue. Like, I think it, it helps make him as weird as it is. I know relatable to a fictional comic book character, but it makes a story more powerful. It makes him relatable. There's a lesson in there for anybody. You don't have to necessarily be somebody that has an addiction problem, but you might know somebody. And so like you just said, with Alfred being there, people can read that and think, yep, I was there for so-and-so or flip it. I was in trouble and I had somebody there that was helping me through it too. So I don't think it's morbid at all. I think it's a it's a strength of the story for sure. And it's actually kind of positive in the sense because Bruce has somebody he can lean on, but yet he's also, no, I'm going to take the necessary steps to overcome this myself. That is self-discipline. That is Bruce Wayne. That's Bruce's superpower. 
that's kind of what I've always thought is like his self-discipline is unmatched by anybody. And I think that's like serves as evidence to back that up. Yeah. Like the only other person who may have more discipline or willpower might be any of the Green Lanterns. I was going to say Hal Jordan or Guy Gardner Hal- or Kyle right there. <laughs> um, or John Stewart or who am I? Kilowog. Or- yes, Jessica Cruz. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then secondly, yes, because I did say two questions. Yes. What is your favorite panel? Yeah, I believe it's in this same issue here. It is Batman in the phone booth. Batman in the phone booth. When he calls Alfred saying, I need your help. When he finally admits he has a problem. Hmm. And the reason why is because two reasons. One is just like to see Batman so low that he kind of crawls back to Alfred saying like, hey, I know I messed up. I need your help. It's such a vulnerable moment there. And you think of Batman as larger than life. That like he, he is the Dark Knight of Gotham. He's almost mythic. And to see him reduced to such a feeble state is quite remarkable to read. They say like, hey, even Batman can, can fall. Like, why do we fall mm-hmm. to learn to get back up again? And also comedy's sake. I know it's supposed to be a serious moment here, but you can read it as a funny thing. Like it, he does look like a little kid in a nurse's elementary, an elementary school nurse's uh, office saying, calling his parents like, hey, my stomach hurts. Can you come pick me up? <laughs> I personally never did that, but I had some kids growing up that come on, come pick me up. I was up, I a few times. Yeah. <laughs> do you still do it at work now? No, <laughs> I just up. like, I'll just be a chicken chick and get up early and just leave a message on the voicemail so I don't have to confront everybody in their face. <laughs> there you go. To answer my own question, I think, and it's not as powerful or as emotional of an answer, but it's in the last, or issue five, the last chapter of this story. And it's when Batman busts through a window when uh, Slaycroft has a knife at Porter. I just think it's, I mean, to me, that's classic Batman imagery. He looks awesome. He's shadowy. He's breaking through, busting through a window. And Slaycroft's face just kind of says, oh, shit. <laughs> well, and it totally makes sense because a bat flying through a window and glass flying everywhere, that goes back to the earliest days of Batman. So it makes sense mm-hmm. why that just resonates with you. Oh, my gosh. I didn't even think it. Wow, this was deep. You're like my psychologist. So really, <laughs> seeing this panel, Ryan, makes you think, wow, I shall become a bat from Batman. Here one. <laughs> hey, and that is... Batman Venom. Do you have anything else about the story that you would like to say that you haven't said yet or reiterate it? I say if you've not read it before, check it out. And if you enjoyed this uh, story, check out the rest of the Legends of the Dark Knight, especially the early days stuff, whether it be uh, Shaman and, and I think Gothic is one of the choices as well, or maybe, or that might have been Elseworlds. There's some really great stories that early on and everything. And you kind of, I kind of missed the days that this is where it was going on. Like, yeah, we can kind of tell sort of out out of continuity stories right there. And if it wasn't for Legends of the Dark Knight here, we wouldn't have Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale coming together to work on Batman. Think of it that way. Exactly. Good point there because they're my, I think probably my favorite, my favorite duo in comics. I I love all their stuff. But yeah, to comment on your Legends of the Dark Knight, actually, in episode eight with Garrett Grev and Peter Vera, we did a Q and a with questions and we actually talked about, we talked about legends of the dark Knight and how like, man, what a good title that is. And some great Batman stories. So you, like you just said of Gothic and Batman prey came out of that one. There is a Matt Wagner story called faces with two face. There's, I think it's called blades, which that might've been Tim sales, like first work with Batman. 
Then there's a going sane book that has like Joker and a sense of <laughs> we're going to keep coming back to South Park. So, you know, in South Park, when Cartman sees the funniest thing and he can't laugh anymore. <laughs> yes. That that episode. Think of like that but with the Joker. The Joker sees the best joke that he's like, nothing's funny anymore. And so he actually becomes normal. And that's pretty, pretty wild. There's another story with with him and Ra's al Ghul where he ends up in a Lazarus pit. There's a, a Mr. Freeze like kind of origin story. I mean, Legends of the Dark Knight, that series is freaking solid. And I think most, if not all of them are available on DC Universe. And so Venom is definitely a standout of the line, but it's an, it's a very highly regarded line of really good Batman stories. I think on a on a different level, it on its own, it's just it's just a really good story. And as we've kind of reiterated over and over, it's not going all Saturday morning cartoon on you or a PSA. I mean, it de- it hits the notes it needs to. It delivers a good message, but doesn't sacrifice just a really good Batman story to do it. And there's a lot to get out of it. I think in a sense, it's a villain that Batman's never faced before. And I can't think of other stories that in this way he's faced since. And that's maybe me also being overdramatic, but I just think it's a it's a really good story. A material for sure. Perhaps A plus. I would have to concur. I would say this is an A plus story. But then again, I am biased. Absolutely. So to like wrap it up, what what is it? Is this maybe your favorite Batman comic story? Is that why you chose it or what? You did say, let me think about it, but it's not like it. you were like three weeks later, a, a month later, then you're like, I actually chose, it seemed pretty definitive of Batman Venom. I want to do that one. No, because Batman The Long Halloween is my favorite uh, Batman comic story. Preach! Yeah, and so I'm like, all right, and I, because we mentioned before, Chris Belga with his show, mm-hmm. World's Finest believers i was actually on his show to talk about that and i'm like all right i'm gonna repeat myself and you had already covered it as well and so i'm like all right let me think what are the stories i really enjoy there like like i was toiling between either this or batman the cult or um there's another one that i wanted to talk about that i forget what the hell was it it was um i'm gonna get off the line and it's gonna be it's gonna come smacking right back in my face but it was around this time as well that i really enjoyed that and so i was like okay i have a few ideas like it, it might have been one of the batman black and white stories that i, w- mm. I would have uh, chosen but it, it's just it's curious because it's like yeah it's it's sort of out of continuity but it does play into continuity later on mm-hmm. because it, it leads it has venom and leads into bane and which leads into nightfall and all of 1990s comics batman related has changed because of that and it's so see like this is the first drop in a ripple that goes outward yeah and to see like oh this this kernel idea would go on to change batman forever Mm -hmm. and not the movie Batman forever. Yeah, I think that's a good point too. This started, this could be, you could claim is the seed that they didn't know they were planning for basically 90s Batman comics. Like you said, led to Bane, led to Nightfall, which sprouted out into all the Batman books and then just one thing after another in which Bane is still a huge player today. They were going to name Bane Venom because of this story and then they realized they couldn't. Like, I think that's, that kind of says it all right there. So definitely among, I think Denny O'Neill, his work with Neil Adams and a few of his other 70 stories will always, I think be at the top, but I think Venom is not far behind them. And some of his, some of his best work on Batman. It's a good, story. I wholeheartedly agree. Excellent. Excellent. Because it'd be weird if by now we 
didn't see eye to eye and started yelling and <laughs> arguing and fighting. Like, wow, that took a dark turn. You guys were doing well and then started fighting. Yeah, you you could say it was a real dark night of the soul. Oh, I that is okay. I am familiar with that as well. That Tim Rooney is definitely the the joke master, the pun king, if you will. <laughs> oh yeah, like I, as my friend Mike says, you're the pun sure right there. That's the oh, that's my the pun sure. I like it. That works. That works. So hey, Tim, uh, thanks for coming on to talk Batman Venom. Got me to read it again for like the third time in my life, and it is. As far as I can remember, just as good of reading as any other as any other time. Great Batman story. Good choice to reread it. So thank you, sir. If you want anybody to follow you in any way whatsoever, hear what you're up to, your next podcast, or just hear what you have to say on a daily basis, where should they go? Well, first off, thank you again for giving me this opportunity to come on to your show and talk about this. Anytime I talk about Batman is a good time in my book. Exactly. Yeah, so if you want to follow my musings, my puns, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at TimothyRooney2, my Instagram at TRooney1012. Like I mentioned before, I have two podcasts, the Anything Goes podcast, which you can find on most of podcast providers where I talk about geek and pop culture and in a myriad of different topics. And please rewind the RF Forum Retro Show. Uh, we can find the same places where you find the Anything Goes podcast, where I talk about movies and when it comes to your anniversaries. And if you want to go to youtube.com slash through the lens productions, through as if you're going through a window like Batman, that's my YouTube channel. We can find all my short films are up there. And if things go well, pandemic wise, I might be making a Batman short film this summer. We'll have to, as a fan film, so we have to keep our fingers uh, crossed with that. Ooh, that would be, that would be fun. That will be cool to see. I can't yeah, wait. Yeah, something I've been to do for a while. All right. Excellent. And as I kind of said at the top of the show, to reiterate, you can follow the Batman Book Club on Twitter at the Batman BC, where I'll make sure to announce upcoming episodes, which I try to do at least a week ahead of time so that if you do want to reread a story, there's enough time there, hopefully, that you can track it down and reread it. I'll also announce when the episodes are become available. And then also I like to try and do some polls so you can find some place to just voice your opinion on some things and like i said there might be a giveaway coming up soon you can also email for questions comments or concerns suggestions or anything batman at all or tell me how great tim's voice sounded when he was singing the dare song i didn't even know that was a thing at the batmanbc at gmail.com and you can follow me on twitter at lauer underscore ryan lauer spelled like lower so once again thanks to tim rooney and for tim i am ryan and we will be talking to you next time